today, uh, we're wrapping up our series, our study on Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you've been here, we've been kind of just plowing our way through uh, those chapters. We're, we're in the process of doing a series through the whole book of Acts, but it's probably going to take us three to five years. And we're kind of estimating, you know, three to five years, because what we've been doing is taking a few chapters and calling it a series, and then we'd step away and go do some other things, and then we'd come back to it. So at that pace, it's going to take us a little while, but we're plowing through and it's been really good. We're calling this Obstacles and Opportunities. And Acts, if you've never read it or if you've never been familiar with it, is the ongoing story of the church of Jesus coming alive by the power of the cross and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all throughout Acts is this idea of what Jesus has done in people and the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. So it's prevalent in every chapter. I was actually reading and noticed that there are more references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible. It's, it's because God is working that way. And so we're studying that. And as with anything that is worth going after in life, I mean, I, and I think we all know this, There are always going to be challenges or obstacles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be roadblocks. And so we're talking about what some of those might be. And so when it comes to our spiritual journey, the obstacles many times are simply opportunities to a move of God. And so you might be today in the middle of an obstacle or a difficult season in your life. It might be God setting you up for a great opportunity and a move of God around the corner. It might be that God is orchestrating something in your life that's much bigger than what you think, and all you can see is the obstacle. And so that's what's happening with the church. They're facing these obstacles on a regular basis. So here's our key text. It's found in Acts chapter 5, and it's, it's on the heels of the apostles um, getting thrown in jail and beaten. They were flogged, it says in, in, in one of the versions. And this is their response as they come out of it. In other words, the obstacle had happened, but they realized it was an opportunity. Here's what it says. The the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. In other words, because they had went through the, the prison thing and the beating thing, they realized that the obstacle wasn't what it was all about. It was actually all about something much, much, much bigger. And they were rejoicing in that. And went on, it says, and every day in the temple, from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they realize, hey, all the things that I'm going through as I've committed my life to Christ, somehow, some way, God is going to use it to proclaim the message of who he is, who he is through me. And so that's what was happening with the apostles. A couple of quick thoughts about maybe our struggle or our problem was with the obstacles and I think they're very true to all of us. And here's, here's the first one. Is we often run away from the obstacles. How many of you are like me? When it gets difficult, you'd like to quit. Just me? Okay. Well, hey, you know, just me. Um, you know, you, you get in those situations in life where it gets really hard and you want to run away. You know, Jennifer and I, we, we, we kind of have, you know, every once in a while we have what I would call a, a, a passionate discussion. 
right? A passionate discussion. And, and her resolve many times in those moments is, I just want to get out of here. I just I want to get away, you know, and I want to keep plowing in. And so we all have that in us that we want to run away from things that maybe we need to go through instead of run away from. And what happens is we inadvertently miss out on the opportunities. And for way too many of us, we never experience the power of God in our lives because every time it gets hard or difficult, we're looking for the closest exit. We're looking for the easiest way out. And because of that, we never experience the great things that God wants to do in our lives. We miss it simply because we're running away. And we have this escapism mentality, and we fail to realize or fail to experience this opportunity that maybe God has for us. Here's the second thought. is that we often have the wrong perspective about the obstacles. We often have this this perspective or this view of the obstacle that isn't true. And, and really what it looks like is this. We mistake the obstacle, we mistake them as God's disfavor when in actuality or in reality it might be God's favor setting us up for something even greater. And so what happens is we go through a difficult time and here's, here's what it sounds like. God isn't good. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. He, he's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. He doesn't see me. We have all these things and we mistakenly perceive that the obstacle is God's disfavor when in reality it very easily, and I think many times, is God setting me up for something greater. And so I have to be aware of that in, in perspective. And maybe... Maybe the obstacles are opportunities to experience greater connection with Jesus. That's what the disciples, the apostles were experiencing in our key text. They, they were going through this and they realized it wasn't just a difficult moment. It wasn't that they went through a painful time. It was actually that moment that brought them closer into the person in a relationship with Jesus than they'd ever had before. We've suffered and been counted worthy to be part of what Jesus is doing. And so this idea is very real. Here's another one. Maybe the obstacles are opportunities to a greater platform to proclaim the message. Maybe what's happening in our lives, many of us, let me ask this question. How many of you ever faced an obstacle? Come on, be honest, be honest. How many of you are in the middle of an obstacle? How many know somebody in an obstacle? I just want to make sure I'm talking to the right people because some of you are like, what's he talking about? So all of us, I think everybody in the room raised their hand at least one time in that little segment there. The obstacles maybe are opportunities for a greater, greater pro, uh, platform for you to proclaim the message. In other words, how you go through this is actually going to set you up to really proclaim clearly what God could do. But if I don't go through it, I never get that opportunity. In other words, I might diminish the platform instead of elevating it. And I think God wants us to be in that place where we have this great platform to proclaim the message of who God is. And many times what happens in life is God brings me through something difficult and then God uses that same difficulty, that same hard thing as the platform to declare his faithfulness and his character to others. And many times then it's out of the tension of life that we experience the greatest growth in life. 
And so some of us, and the reason why I'm going and kind of hanging here a little bit, is some of us are resistant to the obstacle because we think it's not God's favor. It might actually be more God's grace and his mercy in our lives than we can understand. And he's calling us or bringing us to a place of greater impact, a a place of knowing him better, all these different things that we just talked about. God's actively moving, but I have to realize that sometimes it comes through the obstacles. The obstacle might actually be the opportunity. And so that's what we're studying here. So today, we're jumping in and we're looking at Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is 60 verses long. If you're doing doing a Bible study, you're reading chapters like that. If you're like me, I always open up the scripture and I immediately go, how long is this chapter? You know, that's... (laughs) This is a long one, all right? And so we're reading through Acts chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing. And most of what is in chapter 7, actually all of it, is connected to some of the events that happened in chapter 6, which Jay talked about last week. And so real simply, it was this. Uh, The apostles and the church was growing rapidly. I mean, things were happening and, and, and needs were getting met and ministries were being developed and programs were happening and they were feeding different people and it came to be so busy for the apostles they couldn't keep up with it. So they said, hey, you know what? We shouldn't be doing a food program. We should be about prayer and the word. And so we need to appoint some people to take care of taking care of people right? Just this feeding thing. And so they appointed seven men full of the spirit to go about the business of running this program to feed people. One of those guys was Stephen. And Stephen had this incredible ministry where he was doing the things that he did and God was setting him up. And so that's the the background to the story that we're pulling together. Let me give you just a couple uh, uh, verses here. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. I read that early this morning. I thought, Lord, that should be our goal, that our lives would be full of God's grace and power. And he says that he performed with God's power, great wonders and signs among the people. And I thought about this a lot this week, just this idea of what was happening in his life. He wasn't the main guy. He was a servant guy. He he wasn't the guy that everybody's seen. He was actually the guy behind the scenes that was serving. But because of his serving, there was this great change in people's lives. So out of his willingness and availability to serve came power to change things. And what I was thinking about was simply this, the towel of the servant is a powerful thing. And so if you're here today and you're not serving, you might be missing out on some of the power that God wants to flow through your life. There might be things in you that God is just waiting to see happen, but he's waiting for you to put the towel on and just begin serving because out of that servant heart and out of that servant attitude comes this incredible change and power in people's lives around you that you never experience until you do it. And so that's what was happening with Stephen. As Stephen served, God moved. Then it goes on, verse 9, it says, opposition arose. Opposition arose. And so, in jumping down a couple verses, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen, put it, threw him in jail, and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the Holy Spirit and against the law. And so what was happening, that out of the demonstration of his faith, now was raising up a greater opposition to his faith. 
That's, that's what was taking place. He, he was demonstrating faith. He was walking this thing out full of grace and power, full of God's spirit. And in spite of that, there was this opposition, this obstacle. Let me just share this. Whenever I decide to give myself fully to God, there will be opposition. Whenever you finally come to that point where you say, Lord, I'm all yours, I can almost guarantee it in the next moment, there's going to be something that's going to come along and challenge your all-in decision. It just happens on a regular basis because the enemy of your spiritual life and the enemy of the church and the enemy of Jesus Christ does not want to see you go all in. And so almost inevitably, if you ever decide fully to give yourself, there will be opposition. Matter of fact, if you face no opposition, it might be because there is no demonstration in your life. If life is just this easy, 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 easy thing, and there's never any kind of difficulty spiritually in what's going on, it could be that there's a lack of demonstration, and you need to somehow get to that place where your life is full of His Spirit and the power to see things happen. So, fast forward into chapter 7. Stephen then gets an opportunity to respond to his accusers. He gets an opportunity, they bring him in, and they they begin to ask him questions. And notice what it says, Acts chapter 7, verse 1. It says, then the high priest asked Stephen, are are these accusations true? Which is kind of ironic, because they're the very ones that actually set up the false accusations in the first place. I mean, they're the ones that created the situation. And they said, are these true? You know, it's just kind of a, you know, it was a setup. Verse 2, this was Stephen's reply Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Now, the next 38 verses, this long, expanded response that, that Stephen had, which I'm not going to read, he, he begins to share the history and the story of God. And he begins to share a long discourse highlighting that the journey of faith has always been full of obstacles and opportunities. In other words, he goes through this whole list of things, how it's been up and down, but God has been moving all along. God has been doing all kinds of things. He's been actively fulfilling his promises all along the way. In spite of the obstacles, in spite of the difficulties, God has been moving. So he's sharing this long story, and the whole message of Stephen focuses on God's hand at work through those who would allow him to move. And there's two sides to this. And at the same time, there were those who were always stood, who always stood in rejection of what God was doing. So it's these two camps, these two thoughts, and he's, he's telling them over these 38 verses that God's always been moving, but there's always been resistance. There's always been rejection. There's always been this opposition to what God was doing. And really then the big question from all those verses is this one. Are you going to reject what God is doing? Or are you going to be available for what God is doing? Are you, are you going to reject it? Or are you going to accept it? Are you going to be available? Or are you going to be resistant? Where, where are you going to be? Which camp are you going to be? That was really the whole point of his message. Which side will you be on? And Stephen knew where they stood. And he gets to the point. And, and I, as I read this, I was like, man, this guy, he, I can't say this in church, but he had some. All right. Um, he, he. I, mean, I, I don't know that I would do this. This was, this was pretty intense. He gets thrown in jail, and he's going to stand up against all of them. And, and this is what he said, verse fifty-one. He said, "You stubborn people." I mean, and, and it gets worse. 
All right? You stubborn people. You, and really, I, I went through and I looked up all these different words so I could totally understand what he was saying. Really, he was saying, you stiff-necked, unchangeable, unshiftable people. You know, he's like, man, you, you. you know, he just flipped the switch, just went a different direction. Then he goes on, he says, you are heathen. I would, don't do this at work. Just, <laughs> you are heathen, which means without regard of God or earthly. That's what that means. He says, you are heathen at heart. In other words, it's deep within you. And deaf, which deaf is simply this, unwilling or unable to listen. It could be both to the truth. Must you forever resist, push away, reject, oppose the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors do, and so do you. I mean, it's like, whoo, man, this guy, he is picking a fight. They're accusing, and he steps up and says some real hardcore things. And so here's the issue, though. The issue was, is they wanted a God they could control, not a God who would be in control of them. And he was calling them on the carpet. They, they wanted a religion that they ran, not a God that directed their lives. It was this crazy rejection, and I'm going to call the shots, I'm going to do what I want to do. And by resisting the work of the Holy Spirit, which stirs faith and brings conviction, they couldn't be available for what God was doing right then. They were missing out on it. So just like the history lesson that he walked them through, now they were part of the same history lesson. You are just like them, he was saying. You were just like all those people along the way that rejected and resisted what God was doing. You're just like them. And instead, and they had an opportunity, instead of responding with a heart of repentance, they were cut to the heart and responded with anger. In other words, the righteousness and the truthfulness of who they are and who God was actually made it worse, not better. And a lot of times that's what happens in our lives as followers of Christ. If you've committed your life to Christ, it's an odd thing how people ha that haven't committed themselves to Christ get all of a sudden really upset with you for no reason. Right? A lot of you nodding your heads. Because, because there's a conviction, there's, there's an uncomfortableness, there's a guiltiness that goes along with this that just naturally happens. And so it's happening in a big way in this story. So then we jump all the way down, uh, not all the way down, jump a few verses. And it says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. Actually, it says in some uh, of the, the translations and different commentaries that they were hissing. You know, I can't believe you did said that, you know, but they were so convicted and guilty that that's what was happening. So the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, which is ironic because they were accusing him. And so it's this, you know, thing going on and they shook their fists at him in rage. They were furious. But Stephen, notice what he did. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, I want to underline that phrase gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 57, 
Then they put their hands over their ears. I mean, they didn't want to hear anything. I mean, that's how resistant they were. That's how anti they were to what was happening. I, don't, I, I can't even listen to what he's saying. Put their hands over their ears and began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and it's interesting. The reason why they took their coats off, I was like, why don't they take their coats off? Was, you know, what was going on here? You know, two reasons. One, they don't want to get blood on themselves. Two, it was actually strenuous work to stone somebody. They would push them into a pit or a, a hole or a low spot, and then they would pick up boulders and throw them. I mean, I have to go, go back and forth and do that. And so it was work. And notice they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who actually is going to come into the story in the next couple chapters. And so this crazy thing is happening. So they, they stone him. Accusers take off their coats, and they lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if that's what I would be doing at that moment. I'm just going to be honest. This is crazy. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, and I, I definitely wouldn't have said this, don't charge them with this sin. Don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Crazy, crazy story. Now, here's an interesting thing. We're going to see as we pick up Acts again in our next series that this moment is actually the springboard for the church to come alive in the whole world. That this very obstacle, this, this very death, this very thing, and because what happens is persecution starts going crazy towards Christians. And when that happens, the church gets stronger and they spread wider. And so all of this is connected to that one thought. And that's a whole other series. We'll get there. But today, I want to ask, or I want to try to answer two questions. Just two questions real quickly here. First one is this, is how should we respond to the accusations? How should we respond to the accusations? I'm assuming that some of you have been accused of things, right? How do, how do we respond to that in our lives? You know, have you ever been falsely accused? Don't raise your hand. You just, have you ever been falsely accused? I would say for me, I, I had to go way back. I immediately went back to when I was a teenager. And my brother, when we were teenagers, I was a little older. He was a little younger. We were both teenagers at the same time. But he would always accuse me, and sometimes right in front of my parents, of drinking all the liquor and stealing the car. <laughs> totally not true. If I did it, I would own up to it and say, yeah, I did it. You know, that was just my, my way. But he would bold-faced lie and accuse me of doing it. I'd look at him when he would do it. I was like, oh, what? And then my mom or my dad would both get, Troy, is that true? And I said, sure, like that. And then I'd glance over at him. Sure. <laughs> and then later on, I'd let him know what sure meant. <laughs> you know? But you would think that would stop him, but he did it all the time. And, and, and I don't know that get even is the right answer. Okay? That's not the right answer. Getting even to an accusation probably isn't. But I think in our text today, there's actually some real good things to look at that might give us a little insight of how to respond to accusations, to false accusations. Okay, let me just give them to you real quickly. One is that we should respond with respect. With respect. 
If I respond with the same anger that was shown to me, I've responded the wrong way. If, if somebody accuses me and I, in a rage or whatever, they're, they're grinding their teeth and I grind right back, I just became just like them. But notice what he says. He says, brothers and fathers. There's this idea in the middle of this little statement that he respects those even though they're against him. Even though they're coming against him, it's false, it's lies, none of it's true. He respects who they are. He values them for just being God's creation. And there's something to be said about that in how I view the people that might be my accusers. He doesn't look at him and say, you know, he, he doesn't start off and go, you idiots, you, you stupid idiots, uh, you know, he, he, my brothers and fathers. Now he gets to the part where he does something pretty crazy later, but he starts off there. Here's the, here's the second one, is that we should respond with truth, truth, with truth. Listen to me, he says, and he goes into this long discourse about the truth. He doesn't, he doesn't try to make it something it's not. He doesn't try to create a, a false statement himself. He goes right to the truth. He, he focuses on the truth. Why is that? Because I think it's true, no pun intended, that the truth will set you free. That the truth will set you free. And so I just hold on to the truth. I, I, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to get in deep debates. I'm not going to get in arguments about this. I'm just going to share the truth. I'm just going to focus on the truth. Okay? Here's the third one, is to respond with prayer, with prayer. As they stoned him, (laughs) Stephen prayed. Now, if we're not careful, we could think, well, we only need to pray when we're getting stoned. And don't think of the other kind of stone we're thinking of, right? Um, So I just watched the whole thing about California pot cells and all that kind of stuff. That's why that was in my mind. Um. But I think we need to understand that it wasn't the first time he prayed. It wasn't the first time he had gotten on his knees or surrendered himself to God and said, I'm dependent upon you. It was a pattern of his life. And so it was a good pattern. But in that moment, a really good decision to pray, you know, oh, Lord. Help me. Oh, Lord, you know my situation. Oh, Lord, you know. And he prays in that moment because here's why I believe this is so important. More can take place in the closet, the prayer closet, that can, than can ever take place in the courtrooms of life. I believe that there's more power to change the circumstances of my life in prayer than there is in a courtroom or a debate. I've seen it happen again and again and again where I just made it a matter of prayer and God somehow worked it out. God somehow answered it. And so bowing down and being dependent upon God to have vengeance, if that's what's needed, or to correct the wrong is often the best response. See, some of us, we go and we talk to everybody else but the person we need to be talking to. We talk to everybody else about the accusations. We're going to, get, we're going to see how many people we can get on our side. We're going, to, we're going to try to gather the team. Man, make sure you're on my side. You see it my way? I see it. Yeah, man, they're terrible. I can't believe that. And we go through this whole process. But really what we probably should be doing is going to the one that really matters. Make it a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of prayer. Many times the real battle is won on our knees far before it's won in the reality of our lives. Here's the, the fourth one is to respond with boldness. Respond with boldness. So how do we respond? We respond with boldness. He says, you stubborn people. And again, here's the caution. 
Before you go around saying to your co-workers, your family, or your neighbor, you are a heathen at heart. <laughs> All right? Caution, 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 caution. Be absolutely, absolutely sure that this is a God boldness thing and not you just being offensive. You, be, you better be sure that this is what God wants me to do because I might be just, in, I'm about to burn a bridge. And I better be sure that this bridge is not something that's supposed to be used for later on. So I got to keep really careful. Be careful about this last one. Be bold. So then, that's the first question. So here's the second question. So how do we maintain courage in the face of opposition? And I don't know if that's even the right word. But how do we maintain the right attitude? How do we remain in the right spirit? How do we remain in the right place when we're going through difficult times like that? How do you do that? How, how do you, when people are accusing you and, and people are attacking you, and in this case, people are killing you, how do you stay in the right attitude of spirit, heart, and mind in those moments? I mean, how was Stephen able to have such courage or ability to stand in the hardest, most difficult moment of his life? And I think for us, it's the question, how do I stand in the most difficult moments of life? How do I walk through and go through the times where it's the hardest and it's the darkest and it's the most difficult? How do I get through that? And I think the answer is just really simply right before us, that we can do the same thing. And let me give you just three things. First one is this, is that I need to be empowered by the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit. It says, but Stephen, full of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered. We need to have a power that is within us that is greater than us. We need to have something that is bigger and grander than us. If I'm going to go through difficult, dark, crazy times, accusation times, difficult times, somehow it's got to be bigger than me because I can't do it. I don't have enough power in me. I don't have enough strength in me. Can I just stand up in front of you as a pastor and say, I'm weak. I don't have it. But he does. And so somehow I've got to understand that the power isn't my power, isn't my strength. Well, I'm going to have enough willpower. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to have enough guts to get through this. I'm going to... Stop. I've got to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And so when I come to the difficult moments in life and all I have to draw on is my own strength, it will be a terrible day. But if I have him, it won't. I can get through it. See, but if I have within me a power that is greater than myself, the world can come crashing down. The stones can come. The accusations can come. Everything can come. And somehow, in the middle of all that, because of His power, I will remain. Because the Holy Spirit produces peace in the middle of storms. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives me joy when it shouldn't be choice at all. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that gives me the right attitude and the right spirit about it, the right way of perceiving it. All these things are because of the Holy Spirit in me, not because of me. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit gives me eyes to see what I normally couldn't see. One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that I love the most is one of illumination. 
It's, and the lights come on. All of a sudden, I can see. See, a lot of times, I don't know about you, when when I get in dark places, I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm trying to figure it out, but the Holy Spirit just has that way. Immediately, flipping the light switch on, and I can see. I can understand clearly and easily and perceive what's happening because the Holy Spirit illuminated for me to see. Because the Holy Spirit directs my attention to what I should be looking at. Which leads to the second point. So first one is be empowered by the Spirit. Second one is to be focused on Jesus. He had a vision of heaven. He gazed, it says, steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing, which is a very important word in this text. Because it says in other texts of Scripture that Jesus, when he died and was resurrected, he went and he sat at the right hand of the Father. He sat at the right hand of the Father. But now Stephen is getting stoned in this moment, and it says that he sees Jesus standing there, and he's standing there, and I kind of get this kind of feel. He's looking at us like, the first martyr. And I don't know if Jesus would say this, but I think he might say, you go, boy. I mean, Jesus was there, and he... That's what I'm talking about right there. They got it. They under, he understands what I'm talking about, giving his life up. Man, it's happening I think he was at the edge of his seat, in the edge, not the edge of his seat, but at the edge of heaven looking down at earth and going, wow, that's what I'm talking about. And so he sees Jesus standing. And see, here's what I think is going on with this this thought, is the most common mistake we make while going through difficult and unfair situations is focusing our attention on the problem, not the solution. We become obsessed obsessed with what is wrong and we ignore what is right we look down instead of looking up we elevate the circumstances circumstance above the creator we fail to fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith and we miss it we get lost in the problem we get lost in the situation we get lost in the circumstance and we fail to see jesus the resurrected one the one that forgives and frees and fulfills. We fail to see, and this is a kind of a prelude to an Easter message. We fail to see the greatness of the resurrection. We fail to see these things. We keep looking down instead of looking up. And see, he saw who was ultimately in charge. And it's this idea of having the spiritual ability to look beyond my moment to see Jesus above my situation. He was not looking for escape from a situation. He was looking for Jesus in the situation. And we need to have that kind of perspective that understands what I'm facing now is nothing compared to what lies ahead. That he had this focus on Jesus. That somehow in the midst of my accusations, in the midst of my dark hour, in the midst of these things, because I'm filled with the Spirit and I'm focused on Jesus, it's going to work out. Here's the last one, is be connected to the cross. Be connected to the cross. Stephen had a connection with the cross. It's interesting that the last two statements that Stephen made are very similar to the last moments of Jesus on the cross. There was a connection, there's a connection, there's a cross moment connection. There is a 
a crucifixion moment idea that is happening in this last part. Notice what he said. There's two phrases. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And really what I think he was saying was this. He was saying he's given his life away for the cause of Christ. Lord, here it is. It was all yours before I got here, and it's all yours now. It's all yours. How do I handle the darkest moments? How do I handle the accusations? How do I handle it? Lord, it's all yours. Lord, it's not about me getting mine. It's all about you. And Lord, here it is. My life is yours. My life is yours. The problem is yours. The situation is yours. Lord, I give you everything. I lay it down. Everything I have is yours. Second statement, he says, he said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. See, he was full of something there, full of the Holy Spirit, but he was full of compassion for his accusers. That's the cross. <laughs> it says about Jesus on the cross that he died for sinners. He died for people that didn't love him or care about him. I mean, all of a sudden, he's making this connection with the cross that, Lord, as I'm dying and the guys that are killing me, Lord, don't be upset with them. Don't hold it against them because I want to have compassion on them just like you had compassion on me. Lord, don't stop loving them. It was full of compassion for his accusers. He didn't wish harm on them, but forgiveness. Think about your accuser. Are you thinking harm on them or are you thinking forgiveness? Are you thinking about that one that's hurt you, how much you wish they'd get hurt? <laughs> that's, not, that's not where we should be. He was not full of bitterness or resentment. He was full of hope. And he had been so affected by the cross of Christ himself, he wanted everyone else to experience that same thing. That's how I think we should respond how we can face it. Lord, I'm empowered by your spirit. I'm focusing on Jesus and I'm connected to the cross. Let's pray. I just want to pray a, a prayer as we're bowing three prayers. The first one is, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Maybe today you're here and you realize that you've been trying to do it in your own power, in your own strength, and you need to be filled with the spirit of God. Scripture talks about God in relationship to us being filled with the Spirit. He says, if anybody would ask, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give him the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not trying to hold back. I'm trying to give. And so if you're here today and you say, I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to open my heart and my life to the Holy Spirit's work in me and not reject or resist, but say, Lord, come. Fill me with the Spirit. If that's you. Would you just lift your hand right now? Yeah, several hands. Lord, I pray for those that raised their hands right now and even those that didn't, that there would be a powerful spiritual moment in this moment where you would simply fill the vessel with your spirit. Lord, as we open ourselves up and we say, Lord, come, fill me, Lord. Lord, not with my own power, but with your power. Lord, fill me with the spirit of God. Lord, may you overflow in my life. Come. Lord, I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus, fill every person that raised their hand with your spirit. Supernaturally, powerfully, God, by your hand. The second thing is this. 
That maybe you're in a situation where all you can see is the obstacles. All you can see is the problem. All you can see is the situation, the circumstances, the pain, the darkness. That's all you see. And you need your eyes to be open to Jesus and see something different in the midst of your pain. And that's you. Would you raise your hand? Say, that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, I pray for every person that's in that situation in life. The Lord, you would reveal yourself in the darkest moments. That, Lord, eyes would be open, spiritual eyes to see you high and lifted up. Lord, let it be so. And, Lord, last, I pray for those that need to make a connection with the cross. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never accepted the forgiveness. You've never accepted the love. You've never accepted the work of Jesus in your life because you've always resisted. You've always rejected for whatever reason. But right now, God is beckoning you. God is calling you. He is asking you, would you surrender yourself to me and let me heal you and forgive you and make you alive? And that's you today. Would you raise your hand right now? Lord, I pray for those that are wanting that to happen in their lives, that, Lord, they would simply pray that prayer, Lord, forgive me, for I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You paid my price that I could not pay, and I accept you as my Lord and my King. In Jesus' name.